a warning. This episode of Residence contains coarse language, some sexual and drug references, and themes of mental illness. Listener discretion is advised. This is the second episode of a three-part story. Anyone who's ever relocated to another country is familiar with the range of emotions that can come with it, from anticipation, excitement, and fun, to disappointment, stress, heartache, and sometimes even trauma. Yeah, like I said, I had a thought that he was going to cut my head off, and then as soon as I had that thought, he'd like grab me on the wrist, um, and it freaked me out. I was like, what the hell? And it was this intense fear of death that I would like start crying, like really intensely, and being just like, I can't do this anymore, I can't do this. This podcast, it explores the question, what is home? Is it just a place of residence or something more than that? Welcome to the Residence Podcast. Previously on Residence. It was I, I just wanted to, I knew that I needed a change. Um, I needed to do something radical to change the direction of my life. I still had India on my mind and I was counting the other days to go there. I bought a one-way ticket to India, um, to Kochi on the, on the west side in Kerala, west side of India, from like crazy train rides to, um, you know, motorbike journeys to, you know, um, overnight bus stays. One of my friends had actually just spoken to me about, um, you know, smoking weed and, and, and getting hash in particular. But over time, the, the hash, I think, started getting to me. And I started, I remember like there were some small signs of just like paranoia, slight paranoia. So I was getting scared of, of shadows um, and I'd feel in a fear state, like of shadows, but even um, like negative conversations or arguments, I would start getting like a bit scared and wanted to remove myself from the situation. Um, and it kind of just started getting, you know, worse and worse. Around Happy, there were like young Indian kids who would try to make money by going around to tourists and like selling postcards. And there were these two kids that came, two young Indian kids. And one of the kids had postcards. And at this point I was like, you know, I want to do something nice for my family. So I decided to buy two postcards. And I sent one to my grandparents in Australia and one to my grandparents in Sweden. But at the same stage, throughout my Indian trip, I had like this, I was doing this thing where I was collecting wristbands and then I would trade them in with cool people that I'd met. And I saw that this kid had an interesting wristband. So I said, oh, hey, do you wanna you know, trade my wristband with your wristband? And he's like, yeah, yeah, awesome. And so we traded wristbands. And then I ended up buying like 10 of his postcards. I was like, this kid's really cool. And then a couple of days later, I was just hanging actually at Nagila guest house at the restaurant. And the kid comes back in and he, and he talks to me and he's like, oh, my, my dad wants to see you. My dad wants to see you. Because I think he'd given his wristband and his dad had seen it. It's like, my dad wants to see you for a massage or he wants to talk to you. And I said, I was doing a massage course at the time, like I said, so I, was, I just said to the kid, look, I'm getting massages every day. You know, I, don't, I don't really need to see someone else. It's like, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah, the next day he came again. It's like, my dad still wants to see you. And so at this point, it kind of caught my attention. And that's where I like asked, okay, fine. Like, where, where do you live? Where, like, where does your dad live? And what time do we want to meet? So the kid gave him directions, scribbled down on a piece of paper, 
Things were about to get a lot weirder for Tim. I went there at the time, right, and it was... To, to give you a picture of what it, what it looked like, um, it was like this, I guess, really dusty road leading up to a, an intersection of another, you know, smallish road. And then, and then straight, straight ahead was kind of a, this dingy music shop. And then to the left of that was almost like a, a shack, like a broken down shack with a bit of yard. And then I saw a man um, who, my first appearance, my first impression of him was that he had, it was obviously an Indian man, Um, he had a beard, a big beard, and he was an amputee, so he didn't have any legs. So I just looked over and I was like, oh, I'm I'm here for a massage. That's the first thing I said. And he's like, massage? And then he looks at me more closely, and it's like, he, he stares at me, he's like, you have evil spirit. You have evil spirit in you. And then I said, okay, I, like what? I, I was very, I was lost for words. I didn't know what to do. And then he said, you have evil spirit. I heal, you come in, I, I heal you, I heal you. And then I said, okay, well, what, what do you want me to do? How, like, how will you heal me? And so he said, you come inside, you come inside. So he invited me to his little shack, which is like, a, you know, it's barely a one bedroom place. So there's like a bed there and another room. Um, and the first thing he tells me is to, to take off my clothes. Um, and so I stripped down to my underwear and he's like, you lie down, you lie down. And then he lies me down on kind of a bit of a mat and he puts um, like banana leaves, like things over my eyes. And then the next thing is, he's like, I'm going to put a paste. Oh, not a, he didn't say that, but he was, what he did, he slopped on this like, it's like a greenish yeah, a greenish paste all over my body. So my face, my arms, legs, stomach, yeah, everywhere. And then he just started uttering like shamanic words. He just like, and started, I couldn't say anything, but what I heard was like, and then I remember a lot of extreme things. And so one of those was I had the thought that this guy, I did not trust him at all. I had the thought that he could cut my head off at any moment because the way he was, you know, communicating me with me was he was making these shamanic sounds, but he was also at one point almost like angry, like really angry towards me or, or a spirit beyond me. And then the next point, it was like talking to me, but very happy and loving. It was like, I love you. I love you. And so one of those moments was I had a, th- yeah, like I said, I had a thought that he was going to cut my head off. And then as soon as I had that thought, he'd like grab me on the wrist. Um, and it freaked me out because I thought he could read my mind. I was like, what the hell? This guy can read my mind. And then the next, I don't know how long it was, 20 or 30 minutes, I went through these extreme emotions of on one hand being like supremely blissful and like laughing when he, would, he told me he loved me. And I was like, yeah, laughing and over, overbearingly happy. And then the next moment I thought I was gonna die. I thought like my soul was gonna leave my body. And I just got so scared of like leaving my family behind. And it was this intense fear of death that I would like start crying like really intensely and being just like, like I can't do this anymore. I can't do this.
and it was just these it was so exhausting um, just going through these extremes and he would ask me questions how you feel how you feel and I'd be like light because I felt like in my I guess like they call it the third eye but like the centre of my brain it was like something trying to lift and get out um, and I felt like a white light as well um, close to me but it got to the stage where it was like we continue the treatment and I said I, I can't do it anymore I'm like I've, I've had it. I, I need you know I need um, this girl to be here um, I need her and he's like where is she and I said, she's out where a guest house, where the guest house is. And so at that point, we made the decision to go out there. So what happened essentially was, He's like, okay, we need to clean, clean you first because I had all this green paste still over me. And so he went outside and he had like several basins of water. Um, and he's like, you clean yourself with the water. Um, and I looked at the water and it just looked like, so, looked like it was boiling, like really, really hot. And so I was frightened to use the basin to use the water. But then I, like, he eventually convinced me to do it. And I remember like the fur just putting this basin over me and just like inhaling, like <gasps> just like it's an extreme rush. And then I just like was cleaning off this green paste all over my body. And then he takes me outside onto the road and he's got this really old school motorbike. Yeah, I forget, not a Harley Davidson. Um, I forget what the motorbike was called, but it was so dusty and it looked like it hadn't been ridden for like 20, 30 years. And he points at the motorbike and he's like, you ride, you ride the motorbike. And I was looking at the motorbike and I thought, there's no way that this is gonna work. Like, how am I gonna ride this? And then I looked back at him and I'm like, the only way that we're gonna go um, and find the girl is, um, is by him, by me carrying him. So I went down and I kneeled down and I just like, he got on my back um, and it was kind of like Luke Skywalker carrying Yoda. And I just, we started walking <laughs> and we didn't get more than five meters before he jumped down and he like laughed. And then he just like leapt onto the motorbike, told me to get behind the motor, like on the motorbike and we drove to where she was, uh, where she was staying. Even on the motorbike, I was, I was pretty paranoid. I remember um, even around the corner, seeing a police per policeman. Oh, the fuck, he's gonna arrest me. Um, but then we went and, yeah, we rode to where Lena was staying, so her guest house, and he parked just outside. And then I kind of ran, and she was staying at this little, like a, like a room out where it was like rice fields. Um, and then she's just standing there, and then I go to her and I say, Lena, I've just seen a shaman and I, I need your help. I need you to be here. Um, and the first thing she said to me was, like, I was planning to leave this afternoon, like leave Hampy, but this is really interesting. 
Um, and I think she was curious because she had, she'd had friends who'd had shamanic experiences before. And she's like, where is it? Where, where do we go? And I said, come with me. And then we went back to where the shaman was with his motorbike. He was at the front and then I jumped onto the middle and she jumped onto the back. So it was like the three of us all then rode back to where the shack was, to where, the, where his house was, to where it all happened. Yeah, so we went and collected her and then um, came back and he kind of was describing the experience of what had happened um, to her. Essentially, it was like a, almost an exorcism. So he was like trying to, I think in hindsight, he was like speaking to the evil spirits and he, with her, explained that I needed to have a puja, like a fire ritual, but that I needed further treatment for like another several sessions like that. And he even showed like his, his wife, I think at the time while he was doing the healing was like video filming me. So there's like footage of me in like a, almost like a, um, a psychotic state, like yelling and, and laughing on that he showed Lena. And he's like, Lena, do you understand what's going on? Cause there was something I said that he didn't quite grasp. And then he told her as well that he'd offer healing for her and that it was almost like a package. So we're both kind of caught up in the moments like, yeah, yeah, let's like, caught up with him and he even said I see you two getting married and I see you two being together forever and I think he was almost trying to bring us both closer because he saw that I needed someone there I think the next day she realizes like I don't trust this guy like I don't I'm not gonna go back and she's like I encourage you to do the same it's very I'm getting really strange vibes from him and so she decided not to go back and then I actually it was gonna cost me the equivalent of $500 to get the treatment and I already, I'd already signed up to doing the treatment and he had like ordered all of these like buckets full of stuff, like psychedelic paste or whatever it was initially. And, and in high school, I was like, fuck, I could be dead if I'd gone ahead with it. But I said no, but I still gave him 500 bucks. So like, look, I was like, I'm not going to do this. And I actually returned back to him a few times in different states. I remember um, had some weird experiences. I liked power dynamics between us. There was one experience where he came to like where I was staying and we ended up doing this like arm wrestle and he challenged me to an arm wrestle and this guy had massive arms and I just looked into the eyes and I was like I'm gonna beat this fucker you fucking idiot and I just like beat like I was underweight at that time as well and I just smashed him really really weird that that at that point to make things more complicated Tim's mental health started to deteriorate rapidly yeah and, and I also started becoming more I think psychotic so it was more like delusional and I remember one night where I was like sitting at the restaurant of my guest house and I had an expectation that Lena was going to meet me there at dinner and the way that I knew that she was going to come is from the lights like reading into is it a green light or a red light or an orange light when it becomes green she'll be here So I was getting further and further away from reality I, I like I designed the place I was staying and I'd set up like my drum and little cards. And so this night she didn't show up to when I thought she was gonna show up. So I went to where she was at Nagila Guesthouse restaurant and this was a Saturday night and I joined her. And at this point I'd almost lost sense of reality. So I was reading into like lights. I was thinking six or seven steps ahead. I was, my brain was going all over the place. I didn't know what reality was. I thought there was, she'd become friends with a German guy and I thought that the German guy was taking her away from me so I became super jealous even to the extent where they were leaving and then I just like approached there was one that like the German guy was protecting her from me because I think I was trying to massage her or, or whatever and I came up to him and was like what are you doing? 
He's like, what do you mean? Like, what, are you, what are you doing? I didn't, I just kind of got into his grill. And then this Australian guy that had been with us kind of approached me, he locked shoulders, like, Tim, you need to settle down. And then he just grabbed my shoulders. And all I remember is this like shock. And he was on the ground hurting and bleeding. And I just like was like scampered away, like almost untouched. I found out later actually from, from Lena, like reconnecting with her, that I actually headbutted the dude. And that's what the shock was. And he was bleeding. And all I remember was like this chaos of his girlfriend just like shouting and yelling at me and me just like running away, but wanting to protect Lena. I was I, like, there was this Indian guy. I was like, Lena needs protection. You know, take, I just want her to be safe. That's all I care about. But I think it has elevated me into this next level of like psychosis where that night I thought I'd entered into a parallel universe. And I just didn't, I didn't, I thought I was invisible to the rest of the world. So I was just walking down this, um, this town of, of Hampi. And I even got to the point actually where I, um, yeah, I, I took off all my clothes because I thought that no one could see me. And I was just seeing lights and I was having like hallucinations and I didn't know what was, what was reality and what was this parallel universe. And then I was coming to, I like stole clothes from a clothesline, put clothes on. And then I went back to where I was staying, the guest house, and I burnt my clothes because I thought that they were like attached to this parallel universe. So I wanted to like get, remove any remnants of it. After the Charmix, after that experience where I um, was, had psychosis that night, the next morning, I actually went to, to where Lena was staying. I was just so still obsessed with her and I all I but all I needed was like a hug. I just wanted her to feel safe and for me to feel safe as well. So I remember like I was crying in a ball, but then I gave her a hug and things were okay. And then she kind of went on a separate way. But I knew that she was gonna go to the Rainbow Gathering the, the night after and then we went separate ways. That was the last time I saw her as I gave her a hug in Hampy. And then I didn't see her again for another few weeks. The next two days I was in this like hypermanic state of being like super excited and like just wasting my money on shit and just like going to a shop and just buying everything or like wanting to buy stores and just like having this hyper hypermania all the time and then I'd have kind of a low and it was but it was all just so exhausting so I got to the point where I was like I need to get the fuck out of Hampy. I made the decision to buy my own motorbike. And so I went through a few different tires, but then I decided to buy a scooter and it was a 150cc Honda Activa. And my goal actually was funnily enough to ride as far south as possible to go to the rainbow gathering that had shifted from Hampi all the way down in a town close to Kodak Canal, um, which is in the state of Tamil Nadu in the south of India. And so I left Hampy on this motorbike without a helmet, with my bag barely strapped to the motorbike, it was like some ropes. And I left like at 4 a.m. in the morning and I just rode south, like as far as I could until like 10 p.m. I was just like in this manic state, just riding so hardcore. I would just like, whenever I got a little bit tired or I wanted to chill out or I needed a rest, I would just stay at these like roadside, like go to these roadside restaurants and 
just like these Indian men would just congregate and then I would like smoke. Um, I'd, I'd stopped with the, the hash at this point. What I'd do is smoke these beaties and they're like cigarettes, but they're, it's like tobacco leaves rolled and then tobacco and it was super cheap. It was like I'd get a pack for like 10 cents and I'd just have a pack of those and I'd just kind of smoke just to like chill me out on that motorbike journey. And so, yeah, then I, then I got to Uti, which is kind of, yeah, a bit further than halfway between Hampi and Kodak Canal where the Rainbow Gathering is. And so I stayed in Uti for like four or five days. And really, I, th- I think I tried to just, I was still in a weird state, even in Uti. And I was trying, yeah, I, I, I saw it as more of like a rest place to like get to the next stage, get to Kodak Canal to the Rainbow Gathering. So I ended up, yeah, riding from Uti. And then I arrived in, in Kodak Canal and I had booked a hostel there. And so, yeah, I remember I, I got there, got to Kodak Canal very late at night. It was like a day, left Uti very early. And then I think that was probably the most insane sights that I've seen in my life is like the journey from Uti to Kodak Canal. I remember like being high up in the mountains and just seeing valleys and the moon like being horizontal to my eye level. And is being blown away. And I, I think I had like um, altitude sickness because of high, how high I was up in the mountains. And I remember getting to the hostel and I was like, I'm so tired. I was just like almost ready to collapse from the motorbike. Tim was exhausted and he needed to recover. He stayed a couple of days in Kota Canal to rest. But then one day he had this strange impulse to go and see Lena at the Rainbow Gathering late at night by taxi from Kodak Canal to Kuvanji, which is this like rural, remote area, which is where the Rainbow Gathering was being held. And everyone told me that it was a stupid idea. It's like, dude, why are you getting a taxi in the middle of the night to nowhere? You don't even know where the direction is to get to the Rainbow Gathering. Because they'll be like, it's out in the forest. There'll be signs and stuff from Kuvanji. It's like, you've got to go to this school and then you've got to follow the signs and it's pitch black. But anyway, I decide to like still get in the taxi and he drops me off in Kuvanji. Um, when it's like an hour, hour taxi drive in the middle of the night. And he drops me off to where it is. And then at this point, I'm like so tired. And I've like, there's no signs. It's dark. I'm like, what am I going to do? And so I end up, yeah, just deciding to sleep at the school. And I can't sleep. And so then I just go walking into the forest. And I kept walking walking and it's getting weird. And I don't know where I am. And then like at the corner of my eye, I just kind of see lights. And I'm like, oh, it must be the rainbow gathering. That's where it must be. So I kept walking towards the lights and I'm like jumping over um, like a fence and it's like plants and shit everywhere. What's, what's happening here? It's like, it's getting denser, but I kept going towards the light. Um, and then I realized that it's not actually the rainbow gathering, that it's like the nearest town. It's actually the town of Kuvanji. And so I walked to the, yeah, walked to the town, realized it's a town. It's freezing at this point as well. And I'm so tired and I'm like, okay, I'm going to sleep at the bus shelter. So I sleep at the, try to sleep at the bus show. It's too cold. I'm freezing. And then I see like an ATM box. And so it looks like it's some warmth. And so I actually go to the ATM box and I end up just like sit and, and sleep in the ATM box that night. And then the next morning I look up and where the ATM box is, is actually like part of an apart, like a rooms for sale type thing or rooms for rent. And I call the number of like the rooms to rent and end up like asking them for three or four days accommodation. And then that morning, it's really funny because I had um, this little like, uh, yeah, like a, can- a canvas. Canvas, canvas um, yeah, is it a canvas bag? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. 
um, but in that bag, I had like obviously I had all my essential oils that I was collecting, but I also had mushrooms, like psychedelic mushrooms in the bag. And I was planning to do them at some point, or to like do them, do them with Lena when I found her at the Rainbow Gathering, whenever that was going to be. But I went to this restaurant to have breakfast. I was just sitting eating, and then I overheard this conversation of this couple saying that, you know, we've been traveling around India, we haven't found any mushrooms, uh, you know, we may as well just leave this place. And I'm just sitting here with like, you know, 10 grams of mushrooms in my bag. I was like, oh, I've got mushrooms. This, this looks like a cool couple. As I'm going, I'm like, I just sorry, I just overheard you guys talking about, you know, psychedelic mushrooms. I've actually got some in my bag. Do you want to do some now? And then I learned that this couple is so like the guys from Turkey, they're wearing kind of this like hippie clothing and the girls from Syria just kind of had her own story there. But I said, look, I want to go to this rainbow gathering. Uh, I tried going last night to meet, you know, the girl of my dreams, Lena, but I couldn't, I couldn't find it. But now it's daytime, you know, let's do, let's go there. And, you know, on the way, let's say, let's take a mush, let's take some mushrooms. Yeah. And so we decided to take mushrooms. We walk there, get to know them a bit more. It's probably, it's like a 20 minute walk to the, where the school is, where the taxi dropped me off the night before to the school. And then we get there and then because it's daylight, we can see signs. That's like rainbow gathering this way. So we follow the signs. And we get there and I'm expecting that Lena's going to be there. And it turns out that everyone had left. There was no one at the rainbow gathering. It was like completely deserted. And so then we're like, fuck, uh, no one here. We may as well just like finish the rest of the mushrooms. And so we kind of sit upon this hill and we all take the mushrooms. And the experiences I had on these mushrooms were so bizarre and like out of this world. I can't even describe how it was, but... It involved telepathy. Like I remember having a moment where I was looking down and there were like farmers. And then there was one farmer that I looked at and it was like I couldn't control his movement with my eyes. So I looked down and I looked to the left and then he'd move to my left. And then I'd look up and he'd move that like upwards. And then to my right, move right. And I'm like, are you guys saying this? And the couple both said, yeah. Like the guy's kind of moving to where your head's moving. And then I was like, I'm hungry. Why don't we go and get him and, you know, get him to get some food for us if I can do that. Um, and then it quickly changed from that to like being able to almost control them. So I remember just having a thought come up that this um, Syrian girl was really, really attractive. And then she just like started nudging closer to me. And then I reacted to that. And I was like, no, 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 no. Like, I, I, I don't, you know, this is not right. Your boyfriend's right here. And then all of a sudden they started making out because I was like trying to push them together to, to get her away from me. And it was just this weird like eye, like locking eye contact and me, like my thoughts coming up and them doing what my thoughts did. And it got to the point where I was like, guys, I, you have to leave. Like, I, I can't, I don't know what's happening, but it's not good. I need to be here on my own. And so they ended up, I told the guy, I was like, you guys have to go. And so they ended up leaving and I was just there by myself, just tripping absolute balls on top of this. At one moment I was like, my eyes shut. And then I saw all of this, these buffaloes like running down the hill and then buffaloes were all surrounded me. And I was like here. And then this um, a farmer came up to me and he was like, do you have some money? And I got my wallet out. And then I, um, I looked at my credit card, I'm like, no. I'm not going to get a credit card, but I gave him all the cash that I had. And actually the ATM wasn't working either. So at that point I kind of gave him everything I had to get back to Kota Canal.
even things like, you know, looking at my, I was so scared that I was going to be stuck in the moment and that I was never ever going to get out of this trip. I was so frightened that was going to happen. And I was looking at my watch and the second hand was like moving so slowly. It was like, and I was like, oh, I'm stuck in the moment. But eventually I, you know, the sun started coming down and then I gradually came back to some sense of normality or like this is reality and that I'm not stuck in time. And so I walked back and it was, I had so many strange moments like this, but I walked into a restaurant and I had zero money, but it was like, I got in there and the people treated me like royalty. Like I was getting free food. Strangers were giving me money. Everyone was kind of looking at me, uh, but in a, like a very loving way. I was almost like, I was like, Jesus had come and I was like, what is going on? I don't want all this attention, but I was hungry. So I ate food there. And then I went back to the guest house and slept. One night, Tim had a strange impulse. He suddenly felt that he knew where Lena was going to be. I knew where she was going to be and I knew what time. And I felt like when I was riding the motorbike, I was almost riding the moment. So it was like I was either ahead of the moment or where she would be at that particular time in the future or I was behind the moment. So I was always like catching up to the moment. And so I was riding back to Kodak Canal and I thought that she was going to be at this cafe at like whatever time, 5 or 6 p.m. And so I rode back into Kodak Canal and I was riding my motorbike and then I get up and like so strange, but she was sitting exactly on the, at the seat where I knew she was going to be. So I rode my motorbike off, got off the motorbike, and then we just made eye contact. And her face was just like so confused. Like her face was just looking, how is this possible? Uh, and she had told me afterwards, Lena and I have spoken since, um, but she said she was in such a different mindset at that point of her traveling journey than you know when she was traveling with me. So a lot had happened with her as well, but like she'd met a different group of friends, traveled different places. And so seeing me at that moment was like so strange. Um, and the feeling that I had when I got there was just like, it wasn't um, joy to see her. It was like relief. It was like, now I'm okay. Now I'm safe. Now I feel like I can go on with my life. Um, it was very strange. We had like a really brief interaction. We kind of, she said, how are you? And I said, I'm, I'm good, I'm okay. And we just had a really brief interaction, didn't really say much at all. And then she ended up walking with her friends in the other direction. Like, she rejoined her table. And after that, I felt okay. It's like, that's, I don't need to see her again. Like I felt um, that I was content with reconnecting and not leaving. Cause I felt like what had happened in Hampi was like unfinished almost. So I just, I needed to f like know that she was okay or that, you know, I could see her again. Whilst with his friend Shankar and still in a hypermanic state, spending copious amounts of money a matter of days before returning to Australia, Tim bought a $5,000 Jeep to drive to the airport. Like if I wanted something, I would get it. And so, yeah, we ended up buying this Jeep and then came back. And so the plan was to travel, to use the Jeep and travel all night back to Chennai so I could catch my flight the next day to Delhi and then catch my flight back home to Australia. Only everything didn't go exactly according to plan. That expensive Jeep he'd bought, they drove right into a ditch on the side of a road and were unable to get it out. And so we ended up just sleeping in the Jeep instead and I just had to cancel my flight from Chennai. I couldn't get to Chennai. 
And then in the morning, we were, we were like, how are we going to get out of this ditch with the Jeep? And so I just had to call the guy from the mechanic and just say, I need, we need help. And I had to just had to like bribe him with money for him to get here to like pull the Jeep out. And then, yeah, so that didn't end up happening. <laughs> and I had, I had to get to Delhi. My flight was like the next day. So I had to get to Delhi somehow to get my flight back to Australia. Okay, I need to get a flight to Delhi from the closest airport. I'm from Kodak Canal. Went to the travel agency and I was like, when is the next flight? It's probably like 11 a.m. in the morning. And they're like, it's at 3 p.m. It's going to take three hours or whatever it is to get back to Delhi. And so I got a taxi from Kodak Canal. It was actually, it was a friend of Shankar's again to get the taxi. And it was like, get the taxi to the airport, to the domestic airport to then go to Delhi. And he was like smoking weed in the, um, in the taxi and I was so baked as well. And it was kind of reminding me of like that motorbike journey from Uti to Kodak Canal and like the rolling hills and the valleys. And I was baked out of my mind and I was just observing. I was like, this is so cool. This is like otherworldly. Like I'm just living the life here. Just like in a taxi about, I wasn't even thinking about going home, but I knew that I'd paid a lot of money for the ticket back to Australia. So I, and, I, and for my parents' sake as well. Like this whole time, my parents are going, what the hell is happening to our son? Yeah, even, you know, with buying the Jeep and asking my mum to, you know, to put over money from my savings account to my, so I could actually pay for it. And she was resistant to do that. So there's all these challenges as well that are happening. And so I get to the domestic airport and I get through and then I get a flight to Delhi, um, Delhi domestic. And then it's like a 15 minute wait to the next taxi. I'm like, fuck. Not surprisingly, Tim didn't get a taxi quickly enough and ultimately missed his flight back to Australia. And in my head, I'm thinking, oh, shit. I'm not even thinking about the money, but I'm thinking about my parents are expecting me to be back at a certain time. So I just went to, like, the, the, the reception or the desk, and I just said, hey, I need to buy a ticket from Delhi back to the Gold Coast, and I need to be back by this time. And so I just paid, like, 2000 US dollars to get an Emirates flight with, like, a two-hour stopover in Singapore or whatever it is back to the Gold Coast at that time. It was a nice flight. <laughs> it was probably the best flight I've had uh, in terms of like the tech stuff and having access to the internet. And then I arrived back at the Gold Coast airport and my dad picked me up from the airport. On the next episode of Residence. You can imagine your brain normally would be like you stirring a pot just with a, a ladle or a handle. My brain was like a, a blender. It was just going non-stop. Uh, what is bipolar disorder exactly? What is bipolar disorder exactly? So the, the psychiatrist would just ask questions around, you know, what happened to India, how are you feeling now? And then she admitted me to involuntary um, care at a psychiatric facility which was when I heard that, it was like my whole world changed. It was like this freedom that I had just got robbed from me straight away, just stolen. As you can see, I'm really fucking sick. I've got a mental condition. I've got psychosis. I've got bipolar disorder. I've got all this crazy shit that they're telling me. So I'm just gonna go live now until I get to Dandenong and we'll see what happens. So there's a man guarding my door. His name, what's your name, bro? He's just told me I can't film on the patients, so I'm stuck in here, they locked me up. Um, I've got my medical report here, around here. They all think, Tim, you're sick. Tim, you're sick, you know, you're not right. 
you're getting this concern everywhere. You know, I've just got love to give. 